Hello, and welcome to the final episode of this series of podcasts for Tabletop Game Magazine. I hope you've been learning a little bit along the way about board games and their history. For this episode though, I want to look at something a little bit different. I've been talking about the different types of tabletop games you can play, but you might not know someone who wants to play them with you, or where you can go to play them. So where can you go? Well, in this podcast, I want to take a look at some of the clubs where you can go and play these games you enjoy. I've been speaking to a few of the founding members of clubs and a few participants, and we've been discussing the kind of things you can expect from your local tabletop club. I've also been speaking to Phil Walker-Harding again, the creator of Sushi Go, who has some interesting things to say of how games are becoming an educational tool. Hopefully, if you still listen to this podcast, it's because you're interested in playing some games. Well, there are plenty of clubs in the UK that meet up on a regular basis to sit down and get stuck into some board games. This podcast has only spoken to a few board game clubs across the UK, but I'm sure there are plenty more that you'll be able to find in a reachable distance to you. I also suggest that you check the back pages of the Tabletop Game magazine, which is an extensive list of board game clubs up and down the country. So what can you expect to find at your local tabletop club? Well, the most obvious will be a like-minded individuals to yourself, who are eager to start playing some board games. Now, I guess you might feel like a bit of an outsider entering the club for the first time and seeing a lot of friends chatting away. Who do you speak to? How do you introduce yourself? Well, some clubs have a way to make it a lot easier for yourself. Dan Hughes helps to start the Noble Order of Huddersfield Board Gamers, a club in the West Yorkshire town. They meet up every fortnight on a Thursday evening. Dan told me how each week one person would play the role of the host for the club. Their role is to introduce new members to everyone and make sure they find a game to sit down and play. The idea of this is to make them feel as comfortable and relaxed in this new environment. The idea of this is to make any newcomers feel as relaxed as possible when entering the scenario. Like most social clubs, there's a great opportunity for people to make new friends. I spoke to Mike Taylor, who is one of the founders of the Halifax Board Games Club. Having moved to the area, he created the club as a way to make some new friends. As he told me, the club has been successful for him and other new members. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We've um, had lots of kind of uh, friendships made and people kind of splintered off and had kind of games at each other's houses and uh, made friendships that way. Um, we did have a, a relationship style with two people who met at the club. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been great for that. There's one thing, though, that probably should be discussed in this podcast. I think to an outsider, the kind of people you think as board gamers are instantly stereotyped. For want of a better word, people see board gamers as a nerdy type and being predominantly male and of a young age. While this isn't necessarily an incorrect judgement, it can still be said to be a narrow view and characterisation of board gamers. A trip to your local club will show you how the hobby brings in a diverse range of people. Cat Milne is one of the heads at the Colchester Board Gamers Club. One of her main aims is to make the club as welcoming and accessible as can be. Cat also organises a non-man club to help encourage women and other gender minorities. Through these clubs, Cat hopes to show that the pastime is open to people from all walks of life. I asked her how accurate the stereotype was and the goals of the Colchester Board Game Club. I think it, it's not strictly the case, but it's certainly, I don't think it would be an unfair statement to say that there is a majority. I think from the outside, that's also exactly how it looks. There are women who have completely valid negative experiences which have really put them off. I mean, I, I mentioned the idea of running a uh, sort of ladies game night online and it immediately gained quite a lot of interest from local women and um, other gender minorities, which is why we call it man-free and not a women's night. It's about making the people who don't fit the stereotype more visible in the hope that that will encourage others to give it a go. Um, 
most of the people who have turned up, um, I've not met before, nor have I seen them at games clubs before, um, despite a lot of them being quite avid and experienced gamers, um, sort of within their own homes and their own friend groups. So as far as I'm concerned, that has validated the need for it. <laughs> Your age is another thing that you shouldn't hold against yourself from playing board games. Take Martin Gillard, for example. He's a member at the Halifax Board Gamers Club. He used to play board games as a youngster, and still is now. And as he told me, he's still making new friends from the club and finding himself part of a bigger social community. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly, and I've joined. It's, it's, it's weird because I've always liked board games, but there's such a, like a society underneath that. You know, Facebook pages and things of that nature, you know, I've joined Donna's Army Facebook pages and it's weird how you get into something that's just was an enjoyment and it turns more into a hobby. But it's just it's one so of the So you've got a late come over to the To the to games. this group. Yeah, well just yeah. So how long have you been playing ball games for them? Oh I've been playing ball games must be twenty odd years. But it's just so the what fact initially of, for you But was... I stopped playing ball games because it was having people to play them with. I played them while at school and while at college because you had like-minded people around you and then you split off and have a family and go to work and, you know, it's just, it's, they fall by the wayside. I think Martin is a great example of how his local club has allowed him to experience and enjoy what he used to love once again. There's no threshold on the age when you can't stop having fun. What is also refreshing from these clubs is how there's an opportunity to play a game with friends that isn't in front of a computer. Mike agreed with me on this. I'd say that the best thing about playing board games with people is just uh, get, sitting down around a table with people. Um, I feel like in today's age there's a tendency for people to just sit around staring at screens, so it's a nice way to uh, interact with people and uh, it's, a, it's a structured way to do that without any kind of awkwardness. Mike mentioned there being no awkwardness. I'd like just to pick up on that. It can be an awkward experience meeting people for the first time. And for some people this can be a very difficult challenge. Kat shared her old experiences with me and explained how board games helped us get through this problem. Um, yeah, I mean, meeting new people face-to-face isn't something that a lot of people do anymore, um, let alone sort of nerds who throw themselves completely into the stuff they love, sometimes at the sort of at the, to the detriment of their social ability. Um, I mean, since I was a kid, I've suffered with, like, crippling social anxiety, and I, I just genuinely do not understand how I fit in and function in social situations. Uh, small talk is my absolute enemy. It's like a different language and I, I cannot do it. <laughs> so I've found that board games are an amazing icebreaker because um, while I'm playing a game with a stranger, um, we are all focused on a shared task, whether cooperatively or competitively. We're all trying to do the same thing. And enjoying each other's company and once I get over that first hurdle um I'm usually all right <laughs> so yeah I mean it's done a lot for me I've, I've, I've met so many people through gaming and there are a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds so I can't necessarily say that we're all people with like mental health issues because that's not the case but um there are definitely people who go there because they love spending time with real people in real time <laughs> and uh enjoying board games and any chance to do that is a great thing. Playing board games also offers other values than just having fun. There's a good chance that you might also learn something along the way. You can expect to find yourself retaining knowledge from any trivia games. Other titles draw from historical events, take Salem 1692 for instance. It's a game based on the Salem witch trials in America. 
I think an interest in the game can lead to an interest in the game's backstory. Phil Walker-Harding, the creator of Sushi Go, talked to me about how he's found board games serving an educational purpose. He told me of how in classrooms it has served as a means for education. There is so much you can learn from playing games. And yeah, one simple thing is, like you say, playing a game about a particular time period. Um, and, I, and I know, yeah, lots of teachers uh, bring out games um, to play in their classroom to just give their students a window into, into a particular time or an event. There's a game called Freedom, the Underground Railroad. I read a really interesting review of it, and it alluded to a teacher who'd used the game in their classroom to because they were studying um, slavery in the United States and the Underground Railroad and freeing slaves, and the game was, was played in the classroom to help the students really experience, I guess, what went into uh, that remarkable period of history. And I think that's a great example of how you can use a game to just give people a window into something. Now, that's like, it's not an educational game. It's, it's, a, it's a strategic cooperative game that, from what I hear, is excellently designed. Um, but that's a, a good example of how a game can be brought into the classroom. Um, and also, I think for I've also heard lots of teachers talk about using games with quite young children just to teach social skills and interaction as well. So I think that's another aspect of how games can be educational. Well, that is it for this podcast in the series. I'd like to thank everybody once again who's contributed to all these podcasts. And I would like to thank you, the listeners. The aim of these podcasts was to try and get anyone with a slight interest in tabletop games more engrossed with the hobby. So I hope anybody listening who has slightly interested in board games has a bigger urge to go out and get yourself a game to play. I also want to educate the seasoned gamers. I hope after listening to the podcast you've learned a little bit of history on some of the games that you've played. I'd love to hear how you all felt about these podcasts and if there's anyone who's been inspired to get stuck into some board games. I've been Johnny Crawford and I'd like to thank you all for listening.